So this morning, we've had 11 baptisms altogether. Isn't that great? So I share that with you today because I want you to understand something. God is doing a work in this place. And you know what? We learn that we are to look to see where God is working and run and join him. And so I just want to say to all of you here at Central Community, thank you. Thank you that lives are being changed, transformed before it become into eternity because of you. I hope that inspires you. I hope that your next question is, is what can we do next? How can we do more? And hopefully, that's what we're going to talk about and answer this morning. So today is Challenge Sunday. I know if you're like me, you're about to get this campaign over with. But you know what? Now's the most important part. I know that you have all been in the devotion together with your families, with your spouses, maybe with your grandchildren or whatever, and you've been praying and you've been asking God. And so today, um, I just want to challenge you on something as we begin our new series I can remember like it was yesterday. I was sitting on an old John Deere tractor with my, with my cousin. And we were in the cow pen. We were just outside the barn. And it was late in the day, and all of the cows were coming in. And they were following a mean old bull, and, and uh, they were coming in for their water break and to get bed down for the evening. Well, we were sitting on the tractor, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my cousin looks at me, and he goes, truth or dare? And I thought, how dare you challenge the oldest and the favorite grandchild? But as soon as he did that, I got to tell you, there was something inside of me that just wanted to lean into him, and I said, dare. So he looked at me and he said, I dare you to go swat that old bull on the backside. <laughs> I turned and I looked at that bull, and as soon as I did, that bull looked at me, and I'm not kidding, I could have swore I heard him say, I dare you to. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is about challenges, but when people challenge us to do something, it just kind of gets inside of us, doesn't it? It's kind of like when someone challenges you, it's like they're saying, I don't think you can do it. And you know what? If you want to get me to do something, tell me I can't do something, and I'll prove you that I can do it, right? But you know what? Challenges are good for us. Challenges set us apart from the rest of the crowd. You see, because challenges are a part of life. Everybody gets challenged. We get challenged every day, right? You know why God gives us challenges? Because challenges make us stronger. They make us more resilient. And I believe they make us look more like Jesus because he was the greatest overachiever of, our, or overachiever of all people, right? When I was coaching basketball, game days were my favorite. And the reason was is because all the boys were dressed in ties. Now, the reason for that was is because I was a firm believer in is that if you look good, you play good, or excuse me, if you look good, you feel good, and if you feel good, you play good. 
And those boys, they'd be walking around, you know, class. The, gear, the girls going, oh, you know. Boy, they thought they were all there. But they had a little bit of an extra skip, a little jump in their step. Well, they would go throughout the day, and then that night we would travel to wherever we were playing, and it was kind of neat. It was kind of like Hoosiers. I mean, you'd turn around, you'd see all these cars following the team bus as we were headed to wherever we were playing. So the team would get dressed, and they would go out, and they would warm up, and then they would come back in, and it was my last couple minutes with them, and this is where they got that inspirational, motivational talk. You know what I mean? That, 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 that motivational speech is going to get them to go out there and play well. But I want you to understand something. There were only two parts about my motivational speech, and that was this. The first one was purpose, and the second one was identity. And here's what I wanted them to understand. You have to understand what your purpose is. Your purpose is, is that you're part of something bigger than you are. And I want you to go out and do your best. And I want you to know that there's going to be challenges and there's going to be times when you're going to make mistakes and there are going to things going to happen. But don't you bear that back down. And then that would lead into their identity. And what was their identity? They were a part of a team. And I wanted them to rely on their team because here's what I wanted them to know. We're better together. We're stronger together. And that's what I want to say to you this morning, Central Community Church. You're part of a team, and we're better together. In fact, when we are unified, we are unstoppable. And Satan shakes in his boots. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 35 through 51. Here we go. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed him. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, 
I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You, uh, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I need to be reminded again today that we are better together. Today, we are reminded that we are unified in Jesus. And that unity, with that unity, there is nothing that can stop us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you've read your Bible, you could agree with me that there are lots of challenges in the Bible, aren't there? But I have some of my favorites. And even as I think about these challenges, I just get chills running down my arms. The first one is by a man by the name of Joshua. Remember Joshua? Joshua was that Old Testament leader who followed, as the Lord said, the greatest leader of all time, Moses. And you remember Joshua, when he was with the children of Israel, this is towards the end of his ministry, and he's standing between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And you remember what he said? Remember what his challenge was? He said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Boy, that's a man's man. That's a man who knows who his Lord and Savior is. Another one of my favorites is by a little guy by the name of David. Remember David? Early on in David's life, remember he was a shepherd, but he was one tough young man. You remember there was one day and his dad, Jesse, said to David, he said, David, listen to me. He said, I want you to go and I want you to take this food to your brothers and I want you to see how you're doing. I want you to bring back a report. And so that's what he did. He took the food to them. But while he was there, he just happened to hear a challenge. In fact, it was by some big mouth giant by the name of Goliath. Anybody have any Goliaths in your life? And Goliath was shouting at the Israelites and they were scared, the Bible says. Fierce catchy, isn't it? Fear spreads quickly. Goliath stood out there and he said, I challenge any of you, I challenge one of you to come out and fight me like a man. And all of the Israel army, where they were just, and then this little kid by the name of David steps up. And you remember what he said as he stepped over the ranks and the people thought, who in the world do you think you are? And remember what he said? He said, the God who delivered me from the claws of the lions and the bears will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. You go get him, David, right? Today we're going to get another challenge today. And it's from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It first goes to the disciples, but it's meant for all of us for all people in the world. 
And what I want you to understand is that today we're beginning a brand new series. This is our Lenten series, and it's entitled Come and See. You see, the words come and see are only written four times in the Bible. Two of them we're going to see here today. But the last time we see the come and see is, remember, it happened at the tomb. Remember? When the women went and the tomb was empty, remember what the angel said? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to listen to the invitation but also the challenge of Jesus as he extends it to all of us and to all mankind. Come and see. So let's begin with this Bible verse, John 1, 29. This Bible verse always has a special place in my heart because this is the Bible verse that my parents picked for my little brother's funeral back in 1975. It's highlighted in my Bible, as I'm sure you have different verses that are your favorites, and let's read it and look what it says. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how John would have said it. I just kind of know how I would have said it. Hey, look, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this. There's a little background here you need to know. John knew Jesus. And Jesus knew John. They were cousins, the Bible tells us. Now, I'm talking about John the Baptist, not John the writer of this gospel. They spent a lot of time together. They know each other inside and out. But one thing that John the Baptist did not know about Jesus is he did not know that he was the Messiah. That is, until God did something that he promised John would happen that would identify who the Messiah was. Take a look at it. Here's what it is. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then John testifies, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Do you remember what John the Baptist's job was? His purpose, his reason for being here was real simple. Prepare the way for this Messiah. Just get everything ready. Isaiah tells us, make straight the path. What does that mean? It simply means get rid of whatever obstacles that you can so as the Savior, as the, as the Messiah comes, people will be ready for him. But you also remember what, what John the Baptist also said. He said, when Jesus comes, my ministry will decrease and his ministry will increase. Now, I want you to think about this. I just think this is so amazing. When John recognizes Jesus walking around, what he calls Jesus is the lamb. He doesn't call him the king. He doesn't say, look, there's the Messiah. He doesn't say, look, there's the creator of the universe. Boy, he could have said a number of things when he introduced Jesus, but how does he introduce him as the lamb of God? Here's what I want you to understand about this because this is so important. That word lamb that's used to describe Jesus is only used four times in the New Testament. And the word means sacrificial. (laughs) 
Do you understand how John the Baptist identified the Messiah? He identified him as the perfect lamb, as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect substitute. This is the guy who's going to take what you and I deserve. Let's go on. The next day, I want to pause for a moment there. The first miracle is going to happen. The first sign is coming up, and it's the wedding at Cana. What I need you to understand is when the Bible talks about it's the next day, this is, a, this is about four days. This is four days that we see in the life of John the Baptist as he and Jesus and the disciples, the first disciples, as they, as they have conversation. Now, this is important to understand because the number four in the Bible is of great importance. There are four Gospels. Lazarus was in the tomb four days. The number four means God is about to do a great work. And what's the great work he's doing? He's revealing the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, and his ministry, which is about to begin. Now, what I want you to also know about this is that the Bible tells us the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, once again, look, the Lamb of God. Once again, John the Baptist, or John the writer of the gospel here is identifying this is Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for. So now we have Andrew and we have the one whom Jesus loved, John, the writer of this gospel. And what does the Bible say? They identify him as the Lamb of God. Now watch what happens here. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So here's what's happening. We have these two disciples of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had told them about who was coming, and now they leave John the Baptist, and they go and they follow Jesus, and John has nothing to say. He goes, you go. But Andrew, one of them, goes to find his brother. So we have three disciples now. We have Peter, and we have Andrew, and we have John, the writer of this gospel. So what's happening? They turn and they follow Jesus. I want you to think about your life right now. You're walking, and all of a sudden you realize there's a couple of guys are following you. What are you going to do? You're going to turn around, and you're going to ask a question. What's the question you're going to ask, right? What do you want? And that's what Jesus was asking. He was asking them, what do you want? Why are you following me? Is there a reason? Did I do something to tick you off? what's, What's the deal? Why are you following me? Here's what I need you to understand. Why did Jesus ask that question? He asked that question because he asked you and I the same question. So why are you following me? You see, Jesus wants to know their motive. He wants to know what's in their heart. He wants to know, are you following me because you heard that I'm the Savior of the world, that I'm going to be able to do all of these magical things, I'm going to be able to do signs and miracles, wonders and things like that? Are you following that? Or is there another reason why are you following me? Or maybe, are you following because you've heard that I am the way, the truth, and the life? Or are you following because you think I'm somebody else? Why are you following me? And you know what? When Jesus says to me, Bob, why are you following me? In the beginning, I would, I would have to say, I don't know. And I think that's why the, what the disciples had to say. I think the disciples had to say this. Listen, I don't know why we're following, but I do know this. 
Every answer to every question that I might have is going to be found in you. And that's why they followed him. And I want to say the same thing to you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, you know, I'm not exactly sure why I'm here, but let me tell you, you're here because God brought you here. And you may say to yourself, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but here's what I want you to do. If God brought you here, just hang around. You'll get the answers to your questions over time. And so, as the disciples are following Jesus, what do they do? They say to him, Rabbi, which means teachers, so where are you staying? In other words, they say, hey, Jesus, where do you live? Where's your house? Where's your man cave? Where's your pad? Where do you hang out? Do you realize what the disciples were doing? They were asking Jesus, can we come to your house? Now, I was always taught when I grew up, you don't invite yourself to somebody else's house, right? But that's what they did. Rabbi, where are you staying? You see, here's what the disciples knew. They knew there was something different about this man. And if this was the son of God in the flesh, they wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to abide with him. Why? So they could get to know him. And that's what Jesus says to you and I. He says, let's just hang out. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Bob? Because of what Jesus responded to them when they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? What did Jesus say? Come and see. Come and see. Come and hang out with me. Come and spend time with me. Let's get to know each other. You see, you don't mean know me as well as I know you. And I love how he gave them little tidbits. One of them was, when he saw in the stand, oh yeah, I saw you under the tree. You saw me under the tree? Yeah. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. Jesus invited the disciples to come and spend time with him. But he also challenged them. And what he was saying to them is the same thing he's saying to you and I when he says, come and see. He's saying, come and see with your own eyes and investigate. Ask questions. Find out everything that you need to find out. But while you're here, you're going to see the power of Almighty God. And while you're here, you're going to be my eyewitness to the powers, the signs, the miracles, the wonders of Almighty God. And by the way, I'm about to turn your life upside down. I'm about to turn you inside out. Your life is going to be transformed and you will never be the same. So come and follow me. There is a saying that they used to have in, in the days, in these days of the rabbis and the saying would go, it went something like this. Follow so closely that you wear the dust of your rabbi. Follow so closely that you wear the dust of, dust of your rabbi. How about you? How are you doing in that? Are you wearing the dust of your rabbi, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you following so close to them that even when he clears his throat, you hear him? 
Jesus offers us an invitation. I just want to share with you three things today that I want God, that I want us to understand about what it is that God is really saying to us. And the first thing is this. When Jesus says, come and see, he's asking us, I want you to start looking through the lens of faith. In other words, I don't want you any longer to start focusing on the things that you can see. I want you to focus on the things that my Father is about to show you. The second thing that Jesus tells him is this. Okay, so now that you're going, I want you also to understand this. I need you to look beyond the present. In other words, the best is yet to come. As you've been reading through your devotions, one of the things this last week you've been reading about is what the prophet Haggai said. And you remember what he said about this when he said, when looking beyond the present, what was he saying? He's saying the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. And in its place, I will place peace and prosperity. And then the third thing Jesus tells us is this. He says, just come and follow me and be a part of my family, my disciples. Isn't it amazing that in our world today, your popularity is based on how many followers you have, isn't it? But I want you to understand, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not just talking about that you're following him out of curiosity. He wants you to follow him so that he becomes a part of you and you become a part of him. There's one last thing that God just shared with me last night as I was just thinking about this message today and about what Jesus meant when he said, come and see. In other words, Jesus was inviting them to his house. Yeah, Jesus was inviting those disciples to where he was staying then, but he was also inviting him, them to another house. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? In my Father's house are many rooms. That's what you just witnessed today in baptism. Those young people, those adults that got into the waters of baptism and they were saying to all of us here today and everybody watching online, I'm declaring, I'm proclaiming to all of you, I belong to him. And because I belong to him, guess what? That means I have died to myself. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, I have been buried with Christ, but I have been raised to new life. And that new life isn't just here on earth. It's also for eternity. Today, Jesus wants to challenge us to follow him, but not just to walk behind him, but to be his messenger, to be his children, to let our light shine and to go wherever it may be dark so that light may infilter the darkness. But he also reminds us that while we are here, everything that he's given to us, we are simply stewards. It's all his. You see, there's a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know that, right? If you want to know how much does it cost to follow Jesus, it costs everything. Everything. You give up everything. It all belongs to him. 
But what you're going to find out is that when you give up everything and give it all to him, he's going to give you things that you never could even think or imagine. And I'm not talking about the world stuff. I'm talking about heavenly God's kingdom stuff. Today, we're challenging the church, Central Community Day, come alongside of us as we are a part of this refresh. But again, it's not just about what we're doing in the building, it's more importantly what we're doing in the life of the church. And God gave us a great picture of what that looks like this morning. So if you have a commitment card, I'd like you just to take that out, please. And I'm gonna ask Pastor Justin if he would please come forward and he's gonna explain to you what we're going to do with that card, and then I'll come back and I'll close it up. Pastor Justin. Well, as Pastor Rob said, we're just going to quickly walk through the commitment card, just show you how to fill that out so you have an idea this week as you continue to pray through it and uh, fill that out and bring it back next week. You should have got a commitment card on your way in. If you didn't get one in the backs of the pews, there's some there. Just a reminder, you only need one per family, so just make sure you have that with you so you can take it with you this week and fill that out. Okay, starting off looking at the commitment card, there's a couple boxes at the top. I want to start with the box in the top left corner that says, I'm filling out my pledge for the first time. So if you haven't filled out a pledge before, that is what we're going to focus on this morning. You would mark that box. You would put your name on it. That's an important piece. Don't forget to put your name on these pledge cards. But put your name on it, and then we're going to go through the three ways in which you can give that are listed on this form. Now, the first one here in section A is probably the most common. It's how my wife and I are, are making our pledge, but it's pledging to give over a three-year period. So we're breaking apart our pledge and paying some first year, second year, and third year. So you can fill that out on your form that this is how much we're giving year one, year two, and year three. That might look different from year to year based off of your situation, but you can fill that out and then total your three-year gift on that line. You'll see there's a place to mark whether you're giving weekly or monthly or quarterly. And the reason why we have that on there is it's helpful to know the frequency you're going to give so that we can understand cash flow and then be able to make uh, wiser decisions on when to start certain projects based off of what we can expect to receive. Just a reminder, this card is not legally binding, so if something changes in your situation, it's okay if you're giving frequency or the amount that changes, but uh, that helps us plan ahead for what we're doing. Uh, section B, if you're not going to give over a two or three period, maybe you're choosing just to give a one-time gift. You'd put that in this spot. You would put the amount, and you would once again put the date that you would expect to maybe give that pledge. And the last one would be a non-cash gift. So this would be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Maybe you're choosing to give that way. You can put the description of the item, the estimated value, and again, the, the date on there, which you would, you would plan on giving that. If you do fill out this section, I just want you to know our finance director will probably be reaching out to you because it'll be important for him to talk to you about the best way for that gift to come in, both for you and the church. So those are the three ways in which you can give on the pledge card. And then you'll notice that there's a total gift amount. So you would take it, some of you might choose to give the th over the three-year plan in, in section A. So you would just put that total there. Maybe you're giving A, B, and C, and you would total that up and put the grand total in that spot there. 
So that is the way that you would give it if it is the first time you've ever pledged. Now there's another box at the top there and it says that I have already made my pledge. If you have already made a pledge and we're thankful for that, and Pastor Bob's gonna come up with some exciting uh, news in regards to that in just a minute. We want you to still mark that box, put your name on it, but don't put any dollar amount on there. Okay, so still fill it out and Pastor Bob will explain a little bit more on uh, what we're gonna do with those. And then also just a reminder, if you still want to know more about what's going on in that, we'll have uh, council members out there with the refresh booklets. If you haven't got one of those to understand some of the projects in greater detail, you can grab one of those. Very good. Thank you, Pastor Justin. So right now, as you've been going through this Bible study, all we're asking you to do now is to pray and ask God, okay, Lord, so what is it that you would have us to give? And then I'm just asking you to just to be obedient. Then next week, you know what we're going to do? We're going to all come back with our commitment cards and we're going to all come forward and we're going to put them into containers up here. And the reason that we're all going to come forward is because I want all of you to see that what we're doing is we're just linking arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lori and I have been doing this now since January. And we did a number that God had given to us to do and it was a number bigger than what we could do. Now, I'm not telling you this to brag or anything, but I just want to encourage you that God is true to his promises. Just this last week, Lori called me on the phone, and she said, hey, I've known about this for a little while, but I wanted to make sure that it was legit, and I found out we have an extra amount of money in our checking account, and it was a sizable amount of $3,000. As soon as I heard that, I just kind of looked up and I smiled. That's how God works. You can trust him. I'm not telling you to do what we did. I'm just telling you, just be obedient to whatever God puts on your heart and then trust him and watch him do a great work. Last week, while Pastor Justin was preaching, I was with the children in the children's ministry. And I wanted them to know about what we were doing because they're a part of this. And I got to tell you, you know what? As I was looking into their eyes, it dawned on me, I'm looking into the eyes of the future. And I was inspired by them. Oh, they're a energized group. It was kind of funny. I was telling them about some of the things that we were getting ready to do. And one of the things I talked about was is that we were going to get rid of the, fount- or the fountain out there because it's always broken and it just drains our, our cash account, that kind of stuff. And, and, but I ha- also happened to mention that the only thing it's used for is sometimes puppies will come out and drink water out of it during the week. Wrong thing to say. So when I told the children that we were going to get rid of that, guess what they said? But Pastor Bob, where are the puppies going to drink? But you know what? That's why we're doing what we're doing. We're preparing the church for that next generation, and I'm excited to see what God is about to do. This past week, as I've shared with you before, I watched that movie, Darkest Hour. One of my favorite parts of that you remember is when all of the British soldiers are trapped on Dunkirk and they can't get out. They've got the enemy on one side and they've got a body of water on the other. And what does Winston Churchill do? He encourages all of the people, all of the Brits, go and get them. 
Use your own personal watercraft. Go and get them and bring them home. And that's what they did. One by one they went. Some brought 20 or 30 or 40 people. Some brought one or two. But everybody just simply did their part. And that's all we're asking us to do. Let's just all do our part. Remember I told you that the leaders have gone first. And this is the number that we are at right now. $3,391,609. Isn't that amazing? We got a little over two million to go. And you know what? I'm just believing God. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna believe God. So here's my challenge to you today. Just simply be on your knees. Ask God what it is that he would have you to do, and then be obedient. Remember, God's never going to ask you to do something that he's not going to come alongside of you and equip you. Take a step in faith and trust God. The last thing I want to tell you, you're probably wondering, so did you go and swat that bull on the backside? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) But I have to explain to you how I did it. I started up the tractor. I drove right alongside of the bull, shut the tractor off, leaned over the wheel well, and swatted him. Case closed. Would you please stand? As you go through this week, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the sanctuary and in the chapel, praying for you. Just asking God to remind you how much he loves you, how proud he is of you, and that you would be able to see the work that he's doing in this church. Because you guys, he also wants you to know you ain't seen nothing yet. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. God bless you. We'll see you next week.